Anaheim, California is home to Disneyland, both a Major League Baseball team, the Los Angeles Angels, and a Major League Hockey team, the Anaheim Ducks, as well as about 350,000 people. With a crime rate higher than about 82% of the other U.S. cities, it's certainly not the most dangerous place to live, but Anaheim has still seen its fair share of crimes over the years. Today, I'm going to be talking about one crime that is both mysterious and, as of yet, still unsolved. The disappearance and murder of Dorothy Jane Scott. Dorothy was born on April 23, 1948, in McKeesport, Pennsylvania, to Jacob and Vera Scott. From what I could find, she had a pretty ordinary childhood and upbringing. Nothing traumatic or noteworthy came up in my research on this case. Her father, Jacob, was the owner of a psychedelic shop called Swingers until he sold it, but he continued to work as a handyman of sorts at the business. In her adult life, Dorothy worked as a backroom secretary at both Swingers Psych Shop and the jointly owned and attached Custom John's Head Shop. Her office was, as the position implies, in a back room set away from the hustle and bustle of the brightly colored tapestries, lava lamps, cannabis, and smoking paraphernalia, and that was just how she preferred it. Dorothy was a single mother of, at the time, a four-year-old boy named Sean. Sean's father was never really in the picture and lived in Missouri, nearly 2,000 miles away during this time. Dorothy, however, was a loving and devoted mother. She preferred spending nights at home with her son rather than going out. She did date on occasion, but had no steady boyfriend as far as anyone knew. Despite her occupation, Dorothy was a devout Christian and she didn't dabble in either drugs or alcohol. In the months leading up to her disappearance, Dorothy began receiving phone calls from an unknown man. The calls varied anywhere from the man professing his love for Dorothy to threatening her life. The anonymous caller was obviously stalking Dorothy, being able to tell her what she had done that day, who she talked to, what she was wearing, and even details about her son, Sean. On one occasion in particular, she received a phone call from this anonymous man, and he told her to go outside because he had something for her. Hesitantly, she walked out to her car and found a single dead rose had been placed on the windshield. In another call, the man said, quote, Okay, now you are going to come my way, and when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you. Dorothy informed her mother at one point that the man's voice was familiar to her, but she couldn't place it. These calls clearly invoked fear in Dorothy, and she was contemplating getting a concealed carry for protection. Instead, she opted to take karate lessons for self-defense. At the time of her disappearance, Dorothy was living with her aunt in nearby Stanton, California. Since she both worked in Anaheim and her parents lived there, they often would watch Sean while she was at work. This was the case on the night of May 28, 1980, when Dorothy was attending an employee meeting at work. During the meeting, a fellow co-worker, Conrad Bostrin, appeared to be ill and there was a red swelling on his arm. Dorothy was concerned for his well-being and offered to take Conrad to the hospital, accompanied by another employee, Pam Head. On the way, Dorothy stopped by the home of her parents to check on her son. She informed them that she was driving Conrad to the hospital and she wasn't sure when she would return to pick up Sean. During this stop, she changed from the black scarf she had been wearing to a red one, which is a detail that will come up again later. 
Dorothy and her co-workers then continued on to UC Irvine Medical Center, where Conrad was then treated for a spider bite. During interviews, Pam stated that she was with Dorothy in the waiting room the entire time Conrad was being seen. It wasn't until he had been discharged that Dorothy was left alone. While Pam and Conrad went to have his prescription filled, Dorothy offered to pull her car up to the exit so that Conrad, who was still obviously not feeling well, wouldn't have to walk far. Around 11 p.m., on her way to retrieve her car, she stopped to use the restroom. This was the last time anyone would see her alive. Once Conrad's prescription had been filled, he and Pam headed towards the exit door where they expected to see Dorothy outside waiting for them. But she wasn't there. A few minutes later, they spotted Dorothy's car racing through the parking lot, high beams on, and making no attempt to stop or slow down. As Conrad and Pam stood there, waving their arms and calling out for their friend, the car turned out of the parking lot, the headlights clicked off, and the driver sped off into the night. Confused as to why Dorothy would abandon them, Conrad and Pam considered that maybe there had been an emergency with Sean, and in her haste, Dorothy forgot about them. Assuming she would come back once she realized her mistake, the pair waited for their friend to return. But after a significant amount of time had passed, they realized she would not be coming back to get them. Obviously concerned, Conrad and Pam called Dorothy's parents to see if she had, by any chance, picked up Sean. After being told that she had not yet returned, Conrad and Pam were even more convinced that something was very wrong. They promptly called the police and reported Dorothy Jane Scott missing. Because Dorothy was an adult, and there wasn't an excessive amount of time that had passed between her disappearance and the time she was reported missing, the police didn't really seem to take it too seriously. That was until several hours later, at about 4.30 a.m. the next morning, May 29, 1980. Dorothy's white 1973 Toyota station wagon was found in an alley in Santa Ana, about 10 miles from the hospital. The car was set ablaze, but neither Dorothy or anyone else of suspicion was found near the scene. Those creepy and unsettling calls Dorothy had been receiving didn't end with her disappearance either. About one week after Dorothy went missing, another call was made, this time to the home of her parents. Vera had been home alone at the time, so, naturally, it was she who answered the phone. "'Are you related to Dorothy Scott?' the man asked. "'Yes,' Vera replied. "'I've got her.' And that was it. The line went dead. After searching and finding absolutely nothing leading to Dorothy or what happened to her, this was the first clue officers had in the case." but ultimately it was just as unhelpful as the previous calls had been. While the police urged Jacob and Vera not to go to the media for fear it could hinder the investigation, almost another week would go by without any movement in the case. Jacob did end up going to the Orange County Register, asking them to run a story about his missing daughter. The article ran on June 12, 1980. Whoever was behind Dorothy's disappearance had clearly been paying close attention to the news surrounding the case. On the same day the article was released, the paper's editor received an anonymous phone call from a man claiming to be not only her abductor, but Dorothy Jane Scott's killer. The caller knew things pertaining to the case that the police hadn't made public. 
He knew that Dorothy had been at the hospital with her co-workers, that Conrad had been treated for a spider bite, and that Dorothy had changed from a black scarf to a red one while at her parents' house. In addition to these details that had not yet been released, the caller informed the editor, quote, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. The man also stated that Dorothy had called him on the night of May 28th from the hospital, but Pam denied this, stating that they were together the entire time and Dorothy never made a call. The taunting calls to the home of Jacob and Vera Scott would continue for several months. Unfortunately, cell phones and towers to ping approximate locations and make it easier to track callers weren't everywhere like they are today. Despite police attempts to trace the calls, they were never successful. The unidentified male caller never stayed on the line long enough for the trace to go through. The calls only happened when Vera was home alone, until one day, years later, in April 1984, when the caller made a mistake of calling in the evening when Jacob was home, and he was the one who answered instead. The call ceased after that incident. With little to no evidence and no one with any known motive or violent intentions other than the anonymous stalker who was never identified, the case went cold. Fast forward to August 6, 1984. A construction foreman laying pipe for Pacific Bell telephone lines stumbled across partially charred bones. They were found in a bushy area about 30 feet from Santa Ana Canyon Road or half a mile east of Eucalyptus Drive in Anaheim. The bones were scattered over a 25-foot area and consisted of both human and dog remains. Altogether, searchers found a complete human skull, two femurs, bones from an arm and a pelvic bone, as well as the dog bones. The bones were completely sun-bleached, and because the bones were charred, lead investigators concluded that they had been there for a minimum of two years. A brush fire had passed through the area in the fall of 1982, and chances are, the bones were scattered due to animals. There was no DNA to salvage and test, but luckily the skull had a full set of teeth, so they were able to rely on dental records for identification. While the dog bones being present may be coincidental, although maybe not, we'll likely never know, the human remains that were discovered that day, as you might have already guessed, belonged to Dorothy Jane Scott. A turquoise ring and wristwatch were also discovered at the scene, and Vera confirmed they had belonged to Dorothy. Sean's father was looked into, but he was never really a serious suspect. It just wasn't rational to assume a man who had no motive and lived across the country was guilty. There was one other man. While he was never an actual suspect in the case, he was a person of interest to friends and family. Mike Butler had what they referred to as an unnatural obsession with Dorothy. He worked nearby the locations of Dorothy's employment, and Butler's sister happened to work with her. He certainly had the means to keep a close eye on Dorothy as far as relative distance. Being that this was the 80s and a major time of moral concern surrounding satanic panic, the fact that Butler was into the occult didn't help at all either. But again, there was never any evidence against him and the police never considered him a suspect. He passed away in 2014. Others also suspect foul play on Conrad Bostrin and Pam Head's part. But again, 
no evidence. The case of Dorothy Jane Scott would remain unsolved. To this day, no one knows what she endured after her abduction, how she was killed, how long her body had actually been abandoned in the area, or who was responsible for all of this. Unfortunately, Dorothy's parents would never receive full closure or justice for their daughter's death. Jacob Lewis Scott passed away on April 23, 1994, at the age of 69, on what would have been Dorothy's 46th birthday. And Vera Arline McKee Scott passed away on December 17, 2002, at the age of 74. Even though Sean was just a young boy when his mother was taken from him, he is still hoping to have answers and justice for her murder. Unfortunately, due to a major lack of evidence in this case, and no one to positively point the finger to, I don't know that we will ever really know what happened to Dorothy. A memorial service was held on August 22, 1984. I'm going to leave you with a few words from Dorothy's brother, Jim Scott, in a eulogy to his late sister. Quote, To me, she exemplified the word give. She'd just give and give and give, no matter what it cost her. She spent her last hours giving and being concerned about others. As always, thank you for listening. I am your host, Aurora, and this has been The Dark Masquerade.